Let me, uh, let me start the story uh, sermon with a story, um, which I probably have told before, but I like this story. So uh, on my 11th uh, birthday, I received for, uh, for my birthday a, uh, a cricket ball, a proper shiny red cricket ball. Now, I don't know if you've held a brand new cricket ball in your hands before, but it, it is an object of beauty. Would you agree with me? No. Okay. Um, it, to me, it was, it was something very special. I, I just, I looked at that ball, I held it, I just, you know, patted it, um, so I didn't have many pets. Um, but, uh, but in the end, uh, a mate came over and uh, we went outside and we started playing some cricket with the tennis ball, of course, because mum and dad had set the clear rule, the clear boundary. You must not play with the hard cricket ball in the backyard for obvious reasons. The house was just there and my bedroom windows were, were quite adjacent to where the cricket pitch was. So uh, we, we played with the tennis ball for a while and then my mate said, hey, why don't we just do some, some short throws of the hard cricket ball? So, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, we can do that. So we did that for a while. And then, and then my mate, uh, he said, well, you know, like, why don't we just do some little hits? I'll just bowl some slower deliveries and, and you could just block them. And we'll just do some little hits. I said, nah, you know, probably shouldn't do that. Um, nah, and he said, oh, come on, come on, you know, come on. I'll, I'll, bow, I'll bow slow, you just do some little hits. So, so, you know, okay, all right, we'll do that. So first ball comes down, just blocks one out, beautiful. Second ball comes down a little faster. I swing a little bit harder, a little too hard. I make a connection. It comes off at a 45-degree angle and flies in the direction of where? the bedroom window until poof, smash, straight through. Not a happy boy, not happy parents. <laughs> the reason I share that with you is this morning, this evening even, I am share, continuing on the series, How to Adult. And my topic for tonight is boundaries, which I'm calling the underrated value of self-control. Um, the whole concept of boundaries uh, has led to a whole industry of books uh, that a single Google search will highlight. There's boundaries in dating, boundaries in marriage, boundaries in parenting, boundaries for leaders, boundaries with kids, boundaries with teens, and boundaries with boundaries books. No, there's not that one, actually. Um, The Bible, however, doesn't use the language of boundaries. The Bible, uh, at least not in the context of that we're using it tonight, but the Bible speaks about something uh, with a very similar core principle behind it, and that is self-control. When we look at uh, how the Bible calls us to live as a Christian, how we respond to having been saved by God's grace and called into relationship with God, then one of the key ways that the Bible repeatedly says that we should live is to live with self-control. And to me, that's somewhat surprising when I think about that, because I I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about self-control. And uh, I rarely hear worship songs about self-control. You know, self-control. Yes, I'm going to exercise self-control tomorrow. Um, And um, uh, to be honest, I don't think I've really preached too often or even touched on self-control as a response to how we live our faith in response to the gospel. I would suggest that it is assumed, but not often explained. And so that's where we're going to go tonight. Uh, 
Let's start with the scripture. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, if anyone knows their history, ancient uh, towns and cities would be surrounded by a wall. And it would be important for the residents of that city or town to either live within the city walls, or maybe if they were doing some farming, to live just outside the city walls, but not too far, so that uh, if uh, an enemy came to advance against that city, they could retreat into those city walls and close the gates, and therefore they would be protected. While the walls held, the people were safe. But if the walls were broken through, it meant for that city absolute death and destruction right? It was death and destruction. We're coming to that city if the walls get broken through. And scripture says that a person who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken through. Interesting. So I will say this about self-control. Self-control is not very flashy. It's not, to be honest, very exciting. When and if you heard self-control was tonight's topic, I bet you wouldn't have thought, I am just so pumped to hear a message about self-control. It's just not that kind of thing. However, and exercising self-control does not turn heads or garner attention. It's not a virtue valued highly today in today's society or amongst, say, youth and young adult culture. And yet it is so important that the Bible says that self-control brings life and lack of self-control leads to death and destruction. So tonight, I want to bring a healthy corrective to this uh, lack of uh, self-control in sermons. Um, So let me talk about boundaries. Boundaries in the developmental years are pretty important. Some people here are parents. Most of you are not. Most of you have been children at some point in your life. I think all of us. Um, When you are a kid, parents put in place boundaries, right? As a parent, very important when my kids are young to put in place boundaries, all sorts of boundaries. You limit where kids can go. You put a fence around your yard. You limit where they can reach. Uh, Things like sharp objects and medicines need to be put up high. Uh, Also, things like uh, important breakable objects need to be put up high. As a parent, you always know if you walk into the house of someone who doesn't have kids, then there's a big problem because there's all this like breakable items at baby reaching level. So when you're a parent, you're putting in place all these boundaries, what kids can eat, what kids can drink, uh, limit screen time, all this kind of stuff. Like I know with my kids, even now they're getting a bit older, so they're getting a little bit more mature. Uh, but when they were young, um, they would never, ever like put a limit on screen time, right? If I just gave them free screen time and maybe like put a four liter ice cream in front of them, like there would be no self-control there. They would eat the whole lot because you know, sugar and them go really well. Well, they don't actually go well together, but they love sugar. And um, so as a parent, when you're a parent of a baby or a toddler, you actually make all the decisions around boundaries, right? Your kid's not making any decisions. Um, To not put in boundaries for your kid is neglect, right? You're, You're neglectful. Now, as kids get older, obviously a transition starts to take place. They get entrusted with more stuff and they get to make more choices. But parents still need to put in place boundaries. 
Um, but one thing parents need to do is begin to teach children how to actually start to make their own choices and make good choices in life. This is Parenting 101. Um, one of the things my wife does is she works with families and she works with families often in very difficult circumstances with a lot of extremely complex problems. But one of the things that she's discovered in a lot of the families that she works with is that the parents uh, that she's seeking to work with simply struggle to say no. They just simply struggle to say no. Or if they say no, then their teen or preteen kid might just completely ignore them and go and do something. And then they kind of go, well, what do we do now? Um, well, uh, that's where she needs to help them. But uh, boundaries are so important. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about like uh, how to parent kids and stuff like that. I'm talking about how to adult. And the thing about when we hit adulthood, which is where most of us in the room are, is we hit that point where no one's putting in place boundaries for us anymore, right? We are free. Uh, as a song from my teenage years says, which you've probably never heard of, I am free to do what I want any old time. <laughs> no one knew it. So uh, there we go. I shouldn't have just put that out there like that. Once we hit adulthood, we're free to make our own choices. Maybe if we live at home, the influence of parents, maybe there's some boundaries put in place. But by and large, adults, young adults, once we hit adulthood, are making our own decisions. We're setting our own directions. We're choosing our own path. We have freedom, glorious freedom. But the question needs to be asked, to quote another reference from my teen years, the movie Braveheart, uh, what will you do with that freedom? What will you do with that freedom? Now, maybe you've probably never seen Braveheart. It's a very old movie now. But the, the story of this is that um, Scotland has won uh, independence to a large extent uh, from England, right? So England had previously sort of enslaved the Scottish people, according to the movie. And uh, I don't want to get into the politics here for anyone English. But um, William Wallace fights back, right? And they claim ground. And they claim ground for Scotland to be free to to be Scottish and do Scottish things like eating haggis and stuff like that. And then, um, but then the English advance again. The English advance again and they're coming towards them. The English are coming to seek to claim back the freedom from the Scottish people. And so they gather on the battlefield and they're all sort of out there, but they're still deciding, will we fight? Will we fight for the freedom? And so uh, some of the people are saying, no, you know, we're going to run and we're going to live and it's going to be okay. And so in that context... William Wallace rides his horse along the battlefield and he says, you come here as free men and free men you are, but what will you do with that freedom? And you know, there's something very similar to that message that comes when we understand the biblical principle of what Jesus has done for us and where our freedom sits in response to that. The scripture in John 8:36 says, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. If we look at Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to mention a couple of verses here. Verse 6 to 7, I don't have this on the screen. It talks about our old self before we knew Jesus, and it says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body, the old body, ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died, 
spiritually died, died to the old self, has been set free from sin. And going right down to verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're no longer under law but under grace. What this is saying is, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ at the point you gave your life to Christ, you are set free from the power of sin and death. Sin is no longer your master, right? Before when someone is a, is, is a, is a Christian, they might, even sing, they might not even realize that they're sinning, right? You have an awareness of sin that actually comes when you become a Christian. And actually that can be kind of troubling because, because life in some respects becomes tougher because you actually become aware of your sin, and you have to work through that. But the, the, the message of Scripture is this, is that sin is no longer your master. You're no longer a slave to sin. Therefore, why would you live in that state anymore? I.e., you know, sin is like a prison. And, and spiritually, uh, before we know Christ, the, the spiritual state we're in is kind of like we're in prison. And what Jesus comes is he comes and he smashes off the shackles and he smashes open the door and he opens up the door to the cell and, and, and says, you're free. And we kind of walk out to that. But when we fail to exercise self-control, what we do is we walk back in to that prison cell. That's the, that's the biblical image. Now, Christianity isn't the only religion that speaks about self-control. Okay, Eastern religions speak significantly about self-control. However, there is a diametrically opposite situation going on between Christianity and Eastern religion into where self-control sits. So here's the difference. In Eastern religion, the the thing is all about working on self-control, mastery of self and your emotions and controlling it all so that one day you may be free. Do you get that? So if you really can work at it and work really hard, then one day you will be free. The message of Christianity is through Christ you have been set free. So now live as the person that you are. Let me look at two more scriptures to explain this um, and keep tracking with me here. We're going to go on to Titus 2 and I think this one is on the screen. Um, Keep going, next one. Okay, here we are. Titus 2. Uh, Paul writes to uh, a a man named Titus. He says this, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, to, to teach what is good. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and be pure, busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled. Now, basically what Paul has said to Titus here is, is teach the old men that they should be self-controlled. Teach the old women that they should be self-controlled so they can teach the young women that they to be self-controlled and then while you're at it, teach the young men also to be self-controlled. It's a very clear message. Why does he say to do this? Why does he say that they should be self-controlled? Controlled? Well, he goes on to explain it in verse 11 of the same chapter, if we click onto that. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, 
and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's exactly the same message as what I was explaining out of Romans. We have been saved from something and we've been saved for something. Why would we live one way when we've been set free to live a better way, the way of Christ? One more passage to Peter. This is Peter speaking now. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I think we've got that up, this on the screen as well. For the, uh, verse 3, um, okay, I'll just read out. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption Uh, in the world caused by evil desires. Again, it's about what we've come out of and what we've been given new life into. Therefore, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So, you still with me? So convincing. Are you with me? Okay, this is saying the same thing. If If you miss this, it's like you're blind. If it missed this, you've missed the gospel and what it's won for you. The gospel has taken you from somewhere and it's put you, it's taken you from something to something, from death to life, from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. And it's saying now live the life that you have been given by, by the grace of God. Live in the freedom that you've, that's been won for you through Jesus at great cost. This is why you should be self-controlled because it is through self-control that you are able to live the life that Jesus has for you. So, self-control seems counterintuitive, right? Having no boundaries seems like total freedom, doesn't it? Right? I mean, if you've got no boundaries, just do whatever you want. That seems like total freedom. Um, However, the interesting part is where there are no boundaries, according to the Bible and in practice, where there are no boundaries and you just live completely without boundaries, the reality is so often you end up enslaved rather than free. But when you live with self-control and with boundaries and place boundaries in your life, you are able to live in the freedom of Christ. I'll give you an extreme example of this, which would be any kind of addiction. An addiction, very complex, but an addiction starts with, uh, let's say in the case of a, a drug addiction, it starts with actually something that gives a tremendous high. Like people don't take drugs for no reason, right? They give a high. Uh, but after a while... A drug which may be just done where a person has some level of control over that. I, they're, they're sort of the one in control. There can become a dependency and ultimately an addiction. And ultimately what happens is the great high that's there at the beginning begins to reduce. And the low that comes if you don't continue it, the low that comes afterwards increases. So what 
started out as someone doing something which seemed to give great life, a great high, ends up destroying life in so many ways. It ends, and they end up enslaved. I'll give you another example of that. Money, something relevant to everyone. Every, everyone. Money and how we spend it and how we use it is so important. Uh, as Christians, we should actually learn to set boundaries around money. We should actually learn to be generous. We should actually learn to manage our money well so that we can actually use it uh, to live our lives and to be a blessing to others and to God's kingdom. But actually, it's easy to get enslaved because of money. People, uh, uh, what do they do? Rack up a massive credit card debt. Uh, Now, there's afterpay, which basically means you can go and buy something and you don't even have to worry about it till some other time down the track. And, you know, with... uh, Credit cards now, obviously, tap and go. It's like, you, you don't even have to get money out of your wallet. You just like go, bing, and it's like, hey, now I can have things right now. Uh, there are endless stories of young adults in Australia in colossal debt, right? Because we want stuff, we want the best stuff, so we just go and get it and think, well, you know, at some other date, sometime, well, you don't even think. People don't even think. They just, they just want the stuff, they get it, and then they end up, enslaved to a huge credit card debt. What's that? Yeah. They are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is true. Uh, What about time? What about time? I would say this is a common practice among young adults. It goes something like this. Heaps of opportunities come up for you. So you say yes to all of them. People ask you to do lots of stuff. So you say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll lead in this way. Yes, I'll help out in this way. Yes, I'll commit to being on this roster. And then what happens is you end up overcommitted and actually frustrated and a bit annoyed that you've been asked to do all this stuff. People, I don't know if this is hitting too close to home or not. Everyone's just like really quiet here. And so then what we find is, this happens in the church, people actually just commit to stuff and then just don't do it. So wouldn't it be far better actually to set a boundary and actually weigh up the cost of a commitment and make a commitment and then stick to it? You know, Jesus um, had the crowd pressing in on him all the time. He had constant demands on his time. He had people constantly wanting things for him. But in Luke 5, it says, Yet the news spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came to heal him, hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Do you know if Jesus didn't know how to say no and just said yes to everyone, he would have never, ever had time to go and just be with his father. But he knew that his ministry needed as well as absolutely spending heaps of time giving himself to people and teaching and healing. His ministry was also dependent on him going up a mountaintop, just him spending time with his father. It's boundaries. What's another area? Well, big one, sexuality. What does sexuality look like in Australia today? Well, it looks like an epidemic of pornography. It looks like the normalisation of uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage or just outside of even committed relationships, sex without love or trust or intimacy. That is the absolute norm in Australia today, particularly for young adults, right? That's, that's how you do relationships. One of the the consequences of this, uh, Eloise spoke about this, the last time 
uh, statistics were taken uh, for non-medical reasons, for not saving a life because of a health issue in Australia, uh, 83,000 abortions a year. 83,000. It's the idea that you can just do stuff and then just have an abortion later. Now, I don't want to minimise that. I know that's a complex issue and perhaps I've hit a raw nerve there, but it's a concern for me that that's where we're at in Australia and how we, I guess, care for the unborn. Sex is designed by God to make a marriage strong and healthy and yet it becomes, can easily become something that is destructive and causes pain and hurt to many people. In each of these cases and in every other area of life where we can put in place boundaries from friendship relationships to how all sorts of stuff, the phrase that comes to mind is buy now and pay later or buy now and don't even think about later. But later often has to be dealt with. It is not freedom to find yourself trapped in all of these situations. It is freedom to live with Christ and for Christ and his way. So, this is kind of heavy. Let me give you seven practical ways to set boundaries in your life. Number one, firstly, know God's word. Know God's word. I don't know how well you know God's word, the scriptures, and what it actually says about how you should live as a Christian. But it is so vital that you actually know uh, what God's Word says. It is full of wisdom and direction and guidance to help you live life. It is not a rule book that sets boundaries to stop you enjoying life. Because that's the great, I think Kurt touched on this last week, that's the great um, liar of the evil one really is, hey, all of this stuff, it's about God trying to limit you. Like God basically is, is, wants to stop you from having fun. And so the scripture is all about God limiting your enjoyment of life, right? That's an absolute lie. The word of God reveals the way that brings fullness of life. So know God's word for yourself. Secondly, um, draw close to God and seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 24 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So uh, what Scripture is saying is actually the fruit of the Spirit, I, when, the Spirit is, when you're being filled with the Spirit and when you're allowing the Spirit to move in your life and be present in your life, then actually the Spirit will actually work within you. The Spirit will actually work to bring uh, and bear fruit, this fruit within your life. Um, now, does that mean that you just don't even need to do anything because it's just like the Spirit just does it? No, you've still got to make decisions. You still need to think. But actually, God, uh, through His Spirit, actually partners with us to allow us to live the way that God wants us to live. So draw close to God and seek the infinite filling of His Spirit. Thirdly, this is kind of on the same track, passionately pursue godliness. There's probably uh, no, nothing maybe worse or, or, or more kind of boring or um, life-sucking than just setting a boundary and living your whole life just trying to not do stuff, right? That if you define your life as, I'm, I'm just not going to do stuff, and all you think about is what you're not going to do. Instead, a far better way is to use your time and your energy to passionately pursue God 
and His way. Like, seek after God, serve God. You know, like, um, it's a lot easier, and I might say this um, later, but like, um, if you're serving God and you're, you've got people around you that are helping you in that and you're just living for God and you're just going after that and you're just filling your life with the things of God, then that's, a, to me, a lot more enjoyable and easier than just spending all your time thinking, I mustn't do this, I mustn't do that, I mustn't do that, right? Actually turn your attention to God as, and pursue um, godliness and pursue God. Uh, fourth thing, um, set your boundaries before you face a situation that tests them, right? Set your boundaries before you face a situation that tests them. In my life, I, um, uh, when I was 14, I left home in the country and was in a boarding house from the age of 14, right? So I had a lot of freedom from 14. When I was 17 and a half, I had finished school and I moved into a unit in the city, uh, living with a mate, and my parents were still in the country, so at 17 and a half, I had total freedom to do whatever I want, right? I, I had no parental kind of oversight on my decision making. Um, and I, you know, had, uh, like when I began my relationship with my now wife, um, there was no, there was absolutely no kind of situation uh, where her parents were interstate as well. She lived in a separate unit. Basically, in terms of sexuality, we had to set our own boundaries, Right? We couldn't, it wasn't like parents were like there to watch us every Friday or Saturday night. So we actually set our boundaries before we faced the situation that tested them. And once we'd set our boundaries, then uh, the next one, uh, well, point five is avoid situations that will cause you to cross the boundary you have set. So, you know what, like if you're in a relationship with someone and like you're just yeah, I don't know. I won't go into the specifics. Like, if you're just find yourself in a situation late at night at home, and the two of you are, you know, on a couch together, like, seriously, what situation are you putting yourself into? You may have set yourself a boundary, but you've put yourself in a situation that's going to absolutely test that boundary to the limit. So, avoid situations that will cause you to cross a boundary you have set. Number six, uh, have a mentor or mature Christian friend who can both set, help you set and be accountable to the boundaries you want in your life, right? I think it's just so helpful to have someone who's a mature believer who you can absolutely share your whole life with, what you're struggling with, what you're thinking about, what's, what you're dealing with, and how you, what choices that you're making in your life. It's so valuable. I've had mentors right through my Christian journey, and I think men, having a mentor is just awesome where you can just be completely honest with someone who you know has got your back, who will encourage you, who will listen to you, and who, if they need to, will um, uh, speak a word of correction into your life. Lastly, this is a simple one. Just learn to, to say one important word. No. Some people just can't say no. There's an ad about that, isn't it? Can't say no. Just say CCs, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> learn to say, like, no, don't let other people decide your life for you. Don't let other people decide your life for you. I see this happen too often. People actually give up their freedom, that's been one for them, and they basically allow someone else to, to decide their life for them. That is crazy. 
You guys are more valuable than that. You are worth more than that. You are not worth just allowing yourself to be dictated to by anyone. And you actually, in Christ, have the power to make choices and to take a stand and actually set the course of your life. And it's important that you do that. Because unless you're doing that actively, then the world's just going to take you wherever the world wants to take you. And very often, in a lot of situations, that won't be a good place. Let me finish by saying this. My favourite verse in the whole of Scripture is this. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life in abundance. That you might have life in all its fullness. The world has a picture about what life in all its fullness looks like. And it is different to the picture of what Jesus says life in all its fullness is. And when I first became a Christian at 17 and a half, I actually had to figure out for myself, is Jesus right here? Am I going to back Jesus in when he says that his way is the way to life in all its fullness? And to be honest with you, there was a period of time when I kind of wrestled with that. I kind of thought, maybe, but, but maybe, but maybe not. And I've got to say that the greatest joy in my life has been to grow in my knowledge of God and to grow in my faith and to discover more of who good God is and how his love for me is unconditional and that everything I have is a gift from God and that his ways are better than my ways and that his ways are certainly better than the ways of the world. And I am absolutely convinced that that verse of Scripture is now true. That the thief, that there is a thief, and the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but that Jesus has come to give us life in all its fullness. That his ways are better than our ways. That his ways are better than the ways of the world. So may you choose Jesus May you choose his way in every area of your life. May you put in place boundaries. May you exercise self-control. And may you live in the freedom that has been won for you at great cost by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.